Welcome to Creative Writing, where it might get a little weird, but it's always motorcycle related. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen go on to be an asshole. Oh, baby. I don't know, did it wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. But these new ki- new ways kit my... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The guests. The first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. It's a cafe racer with alloy makes, racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz. And the thing's beautiful. I just love the way the Norton sounds. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Oh, man, bro. I was doing 200 miles an hour and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of the traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an intersection on that. <laughs> Rad. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Peewee 80, when I was four years old. And the first thing I did was loop it in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Um, But I learned the lesson that if you're going to take something like that off-road and really abuse the hell out of it, it it doesn't... It's not really roadworthy after that. All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like, the back end of the bike will hop real bad, and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the whole building at West Coast Choppers, and he let me sit there and just watch him. Yeah, yep. that's, that's creative riding. riding. Sit, sit back, back and enjoy, enjoy the ride. The ride. Hey everybody, hope this episode finds you doing well and fancy. This is episode 47 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, and I'm your host, Mr. Producer. So, there a lot of stuff happened this weekend, and uh, quite a few things are happening this coming weekend, so why don't we get into talking about those in a second, but first, before we get into that, I want to tell you something. I was... Uh, sitting here it's kind of late at night i've been um kind of figuring out a a schedule for myself you know i've been trying to kind of start working out again being fit and healthy is super important to motorcycling and i plan to cover that in a future episode but um sitting here doing some research for uh halloween you know halloween will be here before we know it a little halloween episode i'm gonna do and uh here it's you know like i said it's late at night i'm researching some creepy shit and uh, I hear this skipping coming down the hallway. Before I even see anything, I'm starting to get, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck are starting to stand up. And here comes my pallid little daughter. She has really long hair and she literally is as white as a ghost. And so she's got these big kind of tired eye, you know, red underneath her eyes, little little circles still because she just got out of, climbed out of bed to come get a drink of water. And... um She's just skipping down the hallway, mostly naked. And so I just see her little white skeleton-like skin and her long hair and her kind of gap-toothed smile as she turns to me. 
<laughs> dude, creepiest thing ever, right? As you're sitting here late at night <laughs> reading some creepy stuff for Halloween. So at any rate, that's kind of how this show started. <laughs> how was your week and how was, uh, and you know, what did, what did you do last week and all that great stuff? Oh, are you telling me right now? I can't hear you. This is a podcast. I can't hear you. But at any rate, you could write to the show. We've been making a lot of new connections, by the way. So I'm really happy with that. And I'm really proud that, uh, you know, seeing a lot of new faces and making a lot of new friends and um, all over the place, all over the Tumblers, the Twitters and the Facebooks and this and that. So it's really cool to engage with you guys and hear everybody's stories. And like I said on the previous episode, every time we get a Tumblr follower or usually a Twitter follower or anything like that, we'll go check out the good stuff you guys got going on and, and see what you're all about. So, yeah, it's pretty fun. So keep it up and uh, email the show and, uh, I, you know, anywhere you can you can. Le- Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter, Tumblr. Um, where else are we? At our website, www.creative-writing.com and uh, all that great jazz. So, yeah, we're going to try and make it out, you know, here in California. I know. Oh, and luckily, hey, before I get any further into the show, uh, last episode, I did mention that, you know, Hurricane Matthew was coming ashore and I wasn't quite sure since I released that before it hit what was going to happen. Uh, I did hear that like somewhere around 20 people died, so I'm really sorry about that, and I hope everybody's safe. My family in the Carolinas checked in, and everybody's good to go, so I'm happy for that, and I'm happy everybody that I know is safe and sound, and uh, sorry to the, anybody that lost family or friends, and especially sorry to the people in Haiti. You guys, I don't think we have any listeners in Haiti. Uh, we'd like to put a little push pin on the map there, but... Um, I heard around like 900, maybe even more. I haven't rechecked the death toll, but I mean, that's terrible. That's like, uh, if you listen to the last episode, you know, I just got back from vacation, uh, with my family and that is about two towns worth of people. Um, most of the towns around where I were have somewhere between two and 400 people. So we're looking, you know, let's average that out. Let's say three towns worth of people died, you know? just in Haiti alone. So yeah, tragic, man. So let me know how it's going. If you're on the East coast, listen to this, let me know how the season's going. I'm not a hundred percent sure if you guys are like winterizing quite yet, or if you guys are just prepping for some rain or what's going on, but whatever's happening, I hope you guys are still able to enjoy yourselves and have a good time. Uh, I know Barber was this weekend and you know, Barber's sort of down in that part of the country. So I had a few people down there that I know and, and a few people we're going to touch base with and find out how that was. So uh, just interesting to hear how the weather and everything was was for that. Uh, listening to a lot of podcasts from the East Coast, a lot of motorcycle guys over on that side of the country, and um, all of them saying "fu California." Well, I have to tell you that it is in the '80s here, so it's not paradise. Could be in the '70s. Just saying. All right, let's get on to the actual show. So, hey, as a result of just getting back, uh, being on a week-long vacation right when Intermont was happening, which is the, basically the uh, Germanic motorcycle show 
you know, and then coming back to work and, and having to try to catch up on all that news and uh, do all of our current projects and, and all this great stuff. It was a little bit hectic. So then coming back to the show, you know, that I, this thing that I do after all the uh, money-making work is done, <laughs> this money loser. Um, basically, uh, getting back to this, I haven't even caught up on most of the shows that I listen to. Uh, I don't know if anybody is interested in what shows I listen to, but maybe I will put that out later because I do listen to a lot. Uh, I used to listen to even more, but man, there's only so many hours in a day, right? And they're as I've noticed, there's tons and tons more motorcycle podcasts popping up. So uh, more people are taking advantage of this uh, space and more great shows coming online, much better than this one. So yeah, I wouldn't get your hopes up, but uh, that this one's going to get any better. Uh, but there are quite a few to choose from now. So I like it like any good airline. I thank you for flying with me. But, uh, you know, if there's another brand out there that you would like, I totally understand. So speaking of other podcasts and catching up and all the news and this and that, I don't know if it's because some of the people record during the week and I tend to record right before the weekend or, or what it is, but uh, a lot of people seem to be catching up. I, I, I'm either like way ahead or way behind on stories that I that I tell. So I hear a lot of the stuff that I say I hear repeated again on other shows uh, due to our recording schedules, I'm guessing. So I heard a lot of people this week talking about the flat track that I you know, talked about last week uh, since it was a season finale. So uh, to recap, if you didn't hear last weekend that, you know, Brian Smith won and the Harley Wrecking Crew has been established for next year, which consists of Meese, um, Baker and Smith. So that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. That kind of brings me up to what I want to talk about right off the top of the bat on this show. And that is that Jared Meese, once again, you know, just proving why he's so worthy of that number one plate, takes the win at the Paris Auto Speedway that happened out here this weekend near to me. And not to be confused with the Paris, there is a Paris uh, flat track, and that's uh, Southern California. There's a California Flat Track Association which is really popular with like Central and NorCal. And then there's Southern California Flat Track Association, which of course is down here. Everything um, this side of the of LA, basically, you know, the, the mountains kind of cut us off from the upper part of the state. So now that we've got geographics out of the way, uh, Jared Meese basically took the win at Paris Auto Speedway, which is a wonderful place, wonderful facility. They actually race uh, sprint cars there, and that's normally what races there is the cars. It's a little bit bigger than the uh, Paris flat track that, uh, the, you know, the, the Paris speedway. So it's the Paris Auto Speedway, and uh, yeah, took his first win on a on an Indian and uh, yeah, a good way to start out the preseason. Basically I, we're going to start up in Daytona next year. So it's going to be really cool. You're going to hear a lot about flat track uh, on this show. And speaking of that, let's t- talk a little bit about current flat track. So basically the, uh, the California flat track association had their finale, I believe this weekend too. And I think Michael uh, Gazoon tight one, <laughs> Michael Fassbender, what's this guy's name? I'm going to find out because uh, Michael Enderbitson. Michael Enderbitson? Yeah, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So anyway, uh, CFTA 
crowned their championship or their champion for 2016 uh, up there at Salinas, I believe. And I think one of the misfits went to see, I think Naked Jim from Motorcycles and Misfits podcast from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California, hot as balls. Uh, yeah, I think they, I think he went up to see the Salinas race. I'm, I'm pretty certain. Um, because if he went to Santa Rosa, he would have remembered. And so, yeah, so that was happening up there. They already crowned their champion. Um, like I said, the AMA crowned, uh, Brian Smith and then Mies won at the Paris auto speedway this weekend, which is partially sponsored by the, uh, Ivy league flat track. That's our local. F- I mean, the Southern California flat track was basically, it has been the, um, the flat track organization down here that's kind of handled everything. And Brian Bell at Ivy League has just stepped in with the support of Roland Sands and just, you know, laid a new foundation. I, you know, Southern California flat track still does all of the uh, national, like regional flat track stuff, but Ivy League, I mean, they're promoting stuff all over the country now. It's really exciting what they're doing. So, um, the Southern California flat track has a race coming up this weekend on uh, Friday, Friday the 15th. And that is also going to be this weekend. That's going to be the race of gentlemen, which is going to be up at Pismo beach. And if you've never seen that, they have it on in New Jersey. It's the old school sand drags where you race like, you know, old cars and old rat rods and old motorcycles out there on the beach. And Pismo is the only beach, the Oceano Dunes and all that, that you can ride in California, at least, uh, on the coast. Now, you go down to Mexico and you ride all over the beach down there and you go up to Oregon and Washington and perhaps you can ride on the beaches up there. I don't know. But down here in Cali, this is still this is the only beach left that you can ride on because all the millionaires have hogged up all the other ones with their um, beach houses and stuff. So at any rate, yeah, so that ought to be pretty cool. Uh, Southern California flat track, like I said, this is round 10. And then on November uh, 5th and 6th is going to be the doubleheader finale. So that ought to be pretty cool. And then it it sucked because then they used to have the AMA finale right after that at Pomona and, um, or, you know, right around the same time as Southern California ended their season. But unfortunately they haven't raced at Pomona for the past couple of years. So bummer, but out of all the types of racing, I guess that are way more popular, like MotoGP and even arena cross and supercross and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of flat track and you've heard me talk about it all year and you're going to hear me talk about it more next year because it is kind of coming back the way that, um, let me think of a sport that came back like NASCAR, I guess NASCAR was huge, fell off for a while during the eighties and definitely during the nineties when it was like hick culture started to pick up in the late 2000s when we decided, hey, Speed Vision needs um, big-time sponsors, and F1 and NASCAR became it, and they quit showing all the cool motorcycle racing and all that stuff. So we need to make other types of motorcycling cool again, and what we're going to do is repeat history like we did back in the day. You know, road racing's always been really cool over in Europe. Never really took off here in the States. And I mean, that's unfortunate and sad, but flat tracking really was popular. So if we can get 
you know, basically it's like NASCAR on two wheels and on dirt anyway. So if we can get people more interested in flat track again and just interested in motorcycles in general and kind of get that super, you know, supercross slash arena cross and flat track, just like that, the action of it back, maybe we can get some more people getting want to see eyes on road racing again. So I don't know. For some reason, road racing cars and motorcycles in the United States just uh seems much less popular to these mundane sports of like going in circles. All right, this is a perfect opportunity for me to go on a little tirade here. I actually edited out a little part of this to make a little space for myself. So I don't know what it is about Americans. I think we're a little bit lazy and we we just like these sports like football and baseball where there's a little bit of action not but not very much movement, if you will. And I mean, not to say that they're not athletic and stuff, but, you know, you watch a soccer game and and not all the guys are running around for 90 minutes, but it doesn't really stop for 90 minutes. You get like a 15 minute break in the middle. Rugby, same sort of thing. You're always pretty much moving. There's no, unless there's a scrum or something, there's not really, or I'm not 100% sure of all the rules, but I've watched rugby. I watched Australian rules football. I've watched sevens. It's pretty cool. There's hardly ever any stopping unless you score a goal or get knocked out or something. And um, not to say that other countries don't have their, you know, sports where you don't do much. Like, you know, I watch a lot of darts and billiards in England. And, uh, <laughs> but I don't know if those are technically considered sports or games. So they're in Australia has boomerang chucking, which is just like 14 people running around in a field throwing boomerangs at each other and the last man standing wins. And that's a lot of running and throwing and stuff. But for whatever reason, we just like, uh, you know, football, baseball. Um, I'm surprised basketball has such a good viewership because those guys are running back and forth, but the court's small. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, if they were running like a hundred yards, yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, nobody would watch. But so whatever the reason being, uh, we just kind of like our, our cars to, to go around in circles here. And, uh, we don't really like them riding around on the roads. And I would say that it's because we are a country of freeways where it's long straight stretches and there's not, but we're not, we have windy roads and it's not like other countries don't have autobahns and straight roads and this and that. So I don't know what it is about this culture where road racing is kind of takes a backseat. I mean, racing in general takes a backseat to other sports and other types of competitions, you know, and I would, I'm guessing that football and baseball and even professional rodeo probably has more viewership than racing. So it's just, it's just a weird thing to think about that, uh, riding stuff in this country, unless it's lawnmower racing, which actually also had its own series on speed for a while. Uh, you know, you don't get what, for whatever reason, you don't get the, uh, the support and it's kind of nichey. Now, having said that I've noticed in the past, uh, few years of, with, of course, with the advent of the X games and stuff like that. And especially Harley Davidson this year or last year tying in with the X games to bring flat tracking as a an X game sport. We also have freestyle motocross. We have all the cool Red Bull events. I think this younger generation is our chance to really latch on to motorcycle racing and get motorcycle racing great again. Of course, with car racing, when it one on Sunday, it sold on Monday. So I don't think that motorcycle racing is any different, really. We c- kind of tend to sp- uh, 
you know, set our eyes more on the sponsors and, and things like that and emphasize those a little bit more and the brands and all this stuff are, you know, but the actual activity of writing is kind of taking a back seat and that's unfortunate. So hopefully I'm hoping that all this can tie in. It's just, it's weird to me if you don't like, okay, let's take golf. If you, if you don't like golf, maybe you like football. If you don't like football, American football, maybe you like soccer. If you don't like soccer, maybe you like uh, baseball. There's there's some guys that don't like one as much as the other. I know I know some guys that'll watch the heck out of football, American football, but won't watch baseball for whatever reason. Just don't even tune in and watch basketball. So it's like the I don't know. It's so weird, like what they pick and choose to like. But with motorcycle racing. Where it's a motorcycle. It's so weird to me that I, I can see where the dirt and the street could get like a little, con- you know, maybe you don't like road racing, but you like uh, motocross, arena cross, uh, you know, the donations, the, the GPs, all that. Like maybe you you segregate dirt and street, but uh, and or tarmac. But it's really weird that as a sport, motorcycle racing could be that small when you have the same sort of two-wheeled machine getting hucked around <laughs> you know what i mean uh it's the same thing for pete's sake it's not like somebody watching football which is a totally different game from basketball you know what i mean or a totally different game from baseball so it just it makes sense to me why in those sports some people might not like might like one more than the other but in motorcycle racing it's all the same machine man it's like a two wheels with the motor in the middle and some handlebars and it's fun to watch people in each discipline do their craft so i'm really i I don't know why for whatever reason motorcycle racing is uh, had the slippage that it's had other than the fact that it could be road racing and in america we don't like naked bikes we don't like any sort of road racing whether it be automobile or motorcycle so flat track that's why i'm going to be so hardcore on flat track this upcoming year is because i i I see it as our foot to get motorcycles back in the door so to speak all right tirade over i don't know i just i feel like it all ties in so yeah you're gonna hear me talk a lot about that this upcoming year and i'm really gonna promote it we're gonna talk about it and uh, i'm gonna get some more probably people that build more builders and more creators and you know, live up to the name creative writing when we talk about motorcycling and sports and the industry and all the stuff that makes motorcycling motorcycling. So I'm really excited about what I have planned for the upcoming next few months and, and all that. So hopefully we get to that. But for now, we're we're still in October. We're entering that time of year where bikes tend to go to sleep in certain parts of the country. Events kind of taper off due to the weather or, you know, if it's motocross and stuff, they get a lot wetter and, you know, stuff like that. Speaking of which, it is October. I have a cool show planned for Halloween, hopefully. And I want to I want to put this out here since we didn't I, I was planning on having a solstice slam twice a year missed the fall solstice wasn't paying attention to the episodes here. So and I kind of feel like, you know what? I, once a year is probably pretty good. So we'll save, save up your stories, collect them over the winter, write them down and put them in your little journal and email them to me or you can email them to me now and I'll hang on to them. But yeah, let's get excited for the springtime when it's writing season again, huh? before this writing season even technically ends. I'm, I'm already excited for the next one for you guys. But yeah, so that's coming up. If you have any cool 
stories that you would like to share on my Halloween episode. Maybe you got a cool ghost story. Maybe you got a funny joke. Maybe you have a rad ride story or a cool costume. I'm going to be looking for that stuff. So I'm probably going to stick it up on our Facebook page and our website soon that we're going to be, you know, Submit your pictures of your bike or your costume or, you know, any anything that's uh, motorcycle related that you've done in the past and go ahead and throw that up there, email it to the show, stick it on our Facebook page, whatever. And I'm if you can send me some stories or some cool tales about Halloween or, or uh, spooky motorcycle stories, things like that, I'll go ahead and, and uh include them in our Halloween episodes. So that's going to be cool. So save up your Solstice Slam stories for next year. Save up your cool, spooky Halloween stories for this year. Send them to me and we'll stick them on the show and that'll be a lot of fun. I hope that episode comes out as good as I'm planning it to. So, all right. Well, let's get on to the rest of the show. So what's been happening is everybody and their mom are going to Barber. Barber Vintage Festival just happened uh, the, this last weekend and a lot of podcasts posting up on, uh, you know, ride reports and, and festival goings on and stuff like that. Uh, like I said, I'm just still catching up on some stuff. Getting back from last week, you wouldn't believe how much how full my podcast inbox has been. So still catching up on those lots, lots, lots of ride reports. I expect there's probably going to be some more by the time the week is over. Uh, one thing, this is the ride report, by the way, for Monday, Tuesday. And one thing I wanted to talk about was things that came up in the news. Uh, I'm going to post these up on the website anyway at www.creative-riding.com. But Something that came across the news yesterday in my little inbox here was one of the companies that I use of all things to monitor stocks with in the stock market is uh, has reported that Germany has proposed a ban on gasoline and uh, diesel engines. So basically any combustion engine by 2030. I know it's not a big deal here yet in the States, but this kind of corresponds to what Paris did. You know, Paris made some big news a few months ago when they banned vehicles in the city older than 1997. And I believe for motorcycles, it might have been 99 or maybe even before like 92 or something. At any rate, you know, they banned vehicles in the city at certain times. But this is an all out ban, apparently by Germany, the German Bundesrat, which is like the Senate, if I have done my research correctly. As you can imagine, Germany is one of the major power players in the European Union. And they help a lot of people. They got a lot of finance there, a lot of banking centers, uh, things like that. And if you think of the rest of the European Union, uh, places like Italy and parts of Spain and, and Greece and all these smaller countries and even not so smaller countries, but smaller economies are having trouble dealing with. You know, they need they need some money. They need a lot of, uh, you know, basically what I'm getting at is that Germany has a lot of influence for whatever reason, be it political, be it financial. Uh, so a lot of people look to Germany for their you know movement throughout the social and political landscape of Europe in general. So when you see Germany moving to ban uh, combustion engines, that means everybody else is pretty much going to be on board with that and. There's something called the Paris Agreement or the 
you know, that happened at the Paris Climate Conference last December, where 195 countries adopted the first ever universal, legally binding global climate deal to cut emissions by a certain percent. Um, they're trying to reduce global warming by X degrees. And so everybody's like, you know what? Because if it re- it's like, it's like, I guess, uh, I believe it was Einstein who said if all the bumblebees in the world died, humanity and life itself would crumble seven years after. Um, And there's I guess their thing is like if the temperature raised above two degrees Celsius, which is um, I'm not 100 percent sure how much Fahrenheit, but not very much like five degrees, probably it uh, basically would have catastrophic results and i don't know if we can stop this because i'm not 100 sure if people know if we're in a cooling stage or a heating stage if you listen to people uh, a while back we were just entering an ice age and now we're like entering a heat wave people don't know but i think we can look at, at uh you know go back and look at research that's been done and records that have been kept since the 1900s and notice that yes we probably have we can measure pollution and we have done a hell of a lot more polluting and maybe we've increased greenhouse gases. That's probably true. I don't know if we have anything to do with like long-term climate change, but we definitely have warmed up stuff. And so they're trying to reduce that. That's good for us. That's good for humanity. That's good for life on earth. Uh, that is probably doesn't swing stuff too much out of the balance so that, you know, mother nature can continue going on uh, long before humans were around <laughs> The earth was here, right? And long before even dinosaurs and things like that, things started to move. So, I mean, we're, we're just a blink of an eye in this tiny little uh, space that we're here. But we've done uh, – we have done a considerable amount of um, change. Let's just put it that way. So the crazy thing is is that this mandate is kind of creepy, but it also tells me that the future is coming. I mean, quite literally, the future is now. And – Today, this morning, in my little city here of L.A., BMW had their vision for the future of Motorrad, and actually they had a couple other of their vehicles there too. And it kind of correlates to this uh, ban on the, you know, this push by Germany. I, I wasn't aware of this really because I don't do the automotive stuff at my with my coworkers and keep up on all that. But apparently, out of Germany, there has been a big push by the three main automakers, the big three of Germany, which is the Volkswagen Group, um, Mercedes, and BMW for electric technologies. And I mentioned a couple episodes ago that BMW is using some of their automotive technology to trickle over to the motorcycle side with carbon frames to make everything lighter because of all the tech that's coming on into cars and motorcycles and stuff like that. And this is just another step. And BMW is, again, on the cusp of the technology here. Their vision for the future of motorcycling was showcased in their uh, Vision Next 100 and basically, this the reason I say it correlates to the ban on uh, combustion engines by Germany is because Germany's target is 2030. And, and BMW says that these vehicle concepts aim to address the mobility needs of commuters within the next 30 years. So, I mean, I know we're only about 15 years away from 2030, but taking the time to actually get all this stuff right and get it down and comply with what's going to be the uh, standards then, it'll t- it'll take 30-ish years. So 
it's not really surprising that BMW is looking forward to the next hundred years of driving and riding because they just reached their first hundred years and they've been such a dominant force in the in the industry. Uh, like I said, their vision vehicles are concepts right now, but they're trying to address the mobility needs of commuters in the future based around the fact that life is going to be more interconnected, increasingly urban, supposedly if if uh, things keep moving the way they have been over the last century, and also the fact that we're always in touch with technology and no matter where we are. There used to be an old saying, you're never more than three feet from a spider. Well, now I think you're never more than three feet from your, from a piece of technology and literally you're less than a centimeter or however however thick your pockets are if you've always got your phone on you. So assuming all this, they have come out with these vehicles that are going to mesh seamlessly the digital world and the analog world. And they let out a press release that uses, you know, a lot of language and lingo and descriptions that can't sound futuristic. It sounds like you're reading a futuristic novel, but some of the technologies that they talk about exist now. They are extant, but the other ones are non-existent. But you might also remember that I wrote an article called The Future is Lasers, talking about how BMW is integrating some of their laser technology from their cars into the headlights for the the K1600 GT and using lasers on their headlights to diffuse light and make a, a much brighter beam. In that same article, I talked about the HUD, the heads up display helmet that they're working on that would be feeding in uh, vehicle to infrastructure information to you. So uh, construction happening, all this and that. Well, some of the concepts described in this Vision Next 100 press release kind of, you know, they made me feel like riding a motorcycle in the future is going to be somewhat like playing a video game in this day and age. Because they talked about this, and I'm assuming that this is part of, if you also remember in in episode four, I talked about the vehicle uh, to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure technology and the CCC, which was the um, Connected Car Consortium. Gosh, I can't remember my own. I mean, this is, you know, over over 40 episodes ago. I can't remember my own acronyms that I had in my my research, but, you know, there is a a consortium of dealers that included Yamaha and BMW and Honda that are trying to get Europe connected right now. And what that's going to do is I'll describe that in a minute, but they they're trying to do this and, and they call this motorcycle the perfect synthesis between human and machine. But the more that I read, I really doubted that it was a synthesis. It kind of sounded like the bike was going to do stuff for you. And I'll get into it. I'll read a little bit of the press release in a minute. But the description of the bike in my eyes started out okay. Um, I got to tell you right off the bat, there was the first thing that struck me, not that it's electric driven, but it is, it'll be electric. I'm assuming everything is going to be electric after this ban on combustion engines. But um, I did not see any shocks on this thing. And when I read it, uh, there are none. The tires actually provide the damping. And if you look at the tires, there's like a special design to them. And I guess... The they're not expecting people to drive off road because the travel definitely wasn't there and um, didn't see any seat padding. I don't really see how you turn it, except for the fact that the inputs might be uh, similar. And that's where the you know, we'll we'll get into how you turn it in a minute, because I you know, this stuff wasn't evident to me right when I was looking at it. The real kicker was when I read that the bike was uncrashable and that wasn't their exact words, but. They basically implied that all the onboard electronics 
um, will, quote, consign the helmets and body protectors of today to the history books, end quote. Um, and they were talking about the fact that the writer could concentrate more on writing instead of having to worry about being, uh, you know, worry about lean angles and being safe and getting hit and all this and that. Now, if you if you remember, remember, I've brought this up several times, vehicle to vehicle technology exists now. We're getting it integrated. It's just becoming more and more of a thing like airbags and seatbelts used to be luxury items till they became standard ABS and all this great stuff is happening too. Um, the IMUs and all that stuff that are on the bikes now are going to be used in different ways, uh, apparently, according to this article. And it's all going to go into a link up with the heads up display, not in this helmet that they're developing currently, but in this pair of safety glasses, basically. And so uh, they're calling it the visor. And it's basically a heads up display that really does look like a pair of safety glasses if you're going to go weed eating or grinding in the garage. Um, it feeds you constant information and it it, it also analyzes your moves. So I don't know if it's a two-way thing where you can look and it'll feed you information and it also has a camera or sensors or if the bike just integrates with it and how all that's going to work. But it's all going to be integrated package. Um, it's basically controlled by your eyes so you can look around and uh, depending on where you look in the visor, it'll pull up a little menu and you don't have to worry about it because the bike, I know it's a bike and I know that um, we don't have self uh, automated cars 100% down yet, but apparently this bike will be. And if you think that Yamaha's little robot riding the thing was trivial now, and the fact that Kawasaki is trying to develop artificial intelligence now, well, apparently BMW has been too. They just haven't been releasing it in the press because this sounds like it as well. The bike is really going to drive itself. So data and intelligence systems are constantly being processed in the background, and they can be called up by where you look, where you flick your eye, and it'll pull it up on your heads-up display there. To look behind you, you'll just have to look up toward the top of it as if you were looking up toward a non-existent rearview mirror. So everything is going to be holographic or displayed and you'll be able to have a rearview camera. You'll probably be able to pull up. Uh, from what I read, there's not going to be a, a real instrument cluster. It'll all be on this visor. So you better not leave this somewhere. If you're an old person, you probably aren't going to be riding BMWs because old people lose their glasses all over the place, right? So yeah, this stuff is constantly projected into the corners of the visor and you use your eyes to navigate through the screens. Uh, it, the visor is also apparently going to show bank angles similar to like a fighter jet or maybe any jet. I've never uh, piloted a jet before, but... Uh, uh, it's also going to show you recommended bank angles and cornering lines, which just reminds me of video games. And I've never, I haven't played a lot of the modern racing video games, but one of my favorite ones back when I used to race cars was Gran Turismo and of course, Tourist Trophy, which was made by the same company. Uh, and that would give you a little uh, a racing line and it would show you where to brake and, and all this great stuff and, and the best lines to take. I would never use it because I was always... Back in, I was driving more a little bit like real life, I guess, than the perfect computer line. But I guess that's where they're going to help people become m more like computers. And that's where that little Yamaha robot saying, I'm going to beat you one day, the computers are going to figure out some algorithm to get a better line and they will eventually beat humans. And then we won't have to worry about it because we want to, we won't even have to drive motorcycles anyway. Well, they'll just do it for us. So <laughs> get back to the point of this motorcycle is that the, the visor's data collection and assistive capability 
helps the bike take corrective action and prevent a crash should the rider fail to do so. And it states that the press release says that it'll help novice riders figure out how to learn and where the limits are and stuff. So it's self-balancing. It's using the IMU. It won't let you tip over. It won't lock up the brakes in the corner, which, you know, ABS already helps people not low side as it is right now by not letting you lock up the brake and fall over. So all this stuff is extant. Like I'm saying, there's a lot of this stuff that's already exists, but they're just going to be using it in a different way and augmenting it and all this stuff in the future here. And the thing is, what about a seasoned rider or a vet rider? What about them? Well, it'll let you improve your skills in the same way, where it'll let you push the limits and test without letting you fully crash. And you can do it naked as long as you have this uh, visor on, because the thing apparently won't crash. It says, well, in the article, we'll get to it, but it kind of tells you that it, it won't. It, it's uncrashable is what they make you feel like. So right now I'm going to read some of the press release and let them set the record straight on this thing. Uh, so here we have the great escape and, uh, this is straight from the BMW press release quote, the BMW Motorrad vision next 100 embodies the BMW group's vision of biking and a connected world an analog experience in a digital age. Motorcycling is about escaping from the everyday. The moment you straddle your bike, you're absolutely free. Your bike is the great escape, said Edgar Heinrich, head of design at BMW Motorrad, outlining the core principles underlying this brand's vision vehicle. So yeah, so it's the great escape. I don't know if Steve McQueen would like you uh, being referred to as the great escape since he was supposedly did that on a Triumph, and this is BMW. But if anybody can call themselves the wrecking crew, anybody can use the great escape. Jason Gilmore. And um, so yeah, anyway... It, it, Here's how they based it on Beamers. It's an electric drivetrain, but it still looks like a boxer motor. The frame, if you put it right next to their uh, 1923, one, uh, I don't even know the model, but it says the R- R32, that's what it is. Uh, the The triangle basically replicates the triangle that that frame had down to the boxer where the boxer motor is located within the frame and like the geometry and everything, they try to replicate it pretty much exactly. Um, When it it says when viewed from the side of the frame, the BMW Motorrad vision next 100 lends itself to the character of the naked bike with ergonomics to match and a seat in the roadster position. So if you go to the website, www.creative-writing.com or just Google or Bing, or whatever you want to do, Vision Next 100, you'll see. This thing looks a little bit Tron-y, like a Tron bike, but whatevs. So how do you steer it? Because they're talking about how, you know, the controls on it and everything about it is going to be new. It's going to be, uh, a con- you know, the concept is going to be writing, but basically the the way you accomplish it is going to be a little bit different. Well, the flex frame, which is frame assisted steering was the first thing that I read about. And that's, Hey, okay, here we go. Here's getting into the the nuts and bolts of it. The flex frame basically is an integrated frame from the front of the rear. And when you turn at low speeds, 
it, it doesn't have the like a steering head and stuff like that like today's bikes do, but it says it, it allows the bike to be steered without the various joints found on today's motorcycle. So if you turn the handlebar, it'll adjust the entire frame just a little bit. And you can do this with a, let me think of what you can use. You can use anything rigid, even a spaghetti noodle. You can bend it a little bit just to make a little arch. Don't break it. Twist the ends, and if you twist them, you'll notice that it kind of rotates to one side, or you twist them, it rotates to the other. You can probably do it with a pipe cleaner. Anything that is m- malleable but um, long, it'll it'll twist. And as as you twist one end or twist both ends in the same direction, you'll notice the hump or the parabolic curve change just a little bit. And if you twist them in opposite directions, you'll always also notice that it switches. So I'm, I'm assuming that's this frame is basically like a, a, you know, it's a triangular frame. So it's like a, it's similar to a parabolic arch. And I'm assuming that that's how you turn. And it says if you're at lower speeds, it'll allow you to turn it quite easily. But the amount of, uh, it says quote here, quote, the amount of strength needed to steer depends on the situation at a standstill. The flex frame allows a light steering while at higher speeds, it remains very rigid end quote. And so, yeah, if you're turning and you're pushing and I'm, I'm assuming counter steer is still going to be the way you turn these things. Uh, yeah, just that whole torsional flex is how it turns. So it doesn't have the joints. I'm not 100% sure if you're what the turning radius is going to be on this thing. Like if you uh, you'll notice a couple episodes ago, about five episodes ago, I went out in my driveway and I basically was doing figure eights so as tight as I could. And I got it down into not quite a parking space, but not much bigger than a parking space. So this thing, if if it doesn't have a steering head where you can turn lock to lock, then I don't know what the steering angle is going to be. And if it's obviously not going to be for off-road and stuff like that, if, if you can't turn and, and whip it and turn it uh, super tight. But the powertrain, like I said, is inspired by the Boxer engine. It's all finned. I'm assuming that's really is going to work for cooling. But it looks like a T, so you still have the drivetrain in the middle with the Boxer uh you know, what used to be cylinders sticking out there outside and it replicates the covers of the 1920s. So it's a triangular instead of like the uh, rectangular ish or hexagonal boxer that we have now. Um, the minimalist, minimalist form and maximum quality of details. I won't really go into that, but it, it does say it has a wind deflector. Um, it has U-shaped elements that make up the running lights. So, you know, it's very futuristic looking. Uh, doesn't look very comfortable, but I imagine that that seat is some sort of new uh, Wango Tango. It looks like it's metal or 3D printed carbon or something, but I, I'm guessing that your your suit that you're going to wear is going to have all the padding in it. The Like I said before, the, the analog elements in the digital age, it says the displays, the cables, and the buttons are a rare sight on this motorcycle just because everything was going to be electric and, and wired, you know what I mean? And like I said, that visor probably is going to have your... Uh, gauges on it and stuff like that but it does say that a red rocker switch on the right hand end of the handlebar this obviously mechanical element blocks or releases the throttle grip and it is an homage to the analog days of original biking so and if you think about this you really don't need a pivoting um you know, like a throttle grip anymore that turns a lever, you can just have like a light sensor or a light bar or just a like a 
uh, with the same sort of uh, technology that a touchscreen uses, where when you rotate your hand around the grip, it senses that it's turning and it'll increase the throttle. So I don't know what this thing does, but it says it releases the throttle or blocks the throttle. So for whatever that's worth, um, what kind of world will be home to the motorcycle of the future? So I'm going to quote them again here. Quote, normally when we develop a motorcycle, we tend to think five to ten years in advance. But on this occasion, we looked much further ahead and found the experience especially exciting. There are some very attractive prospects, and I firmly believe that the BMW Motorrad Vision Next 100 sets out a coherent future scenario for the BMW Motorrad brand, explains Edgar Heinrich. End quote. Heinrich or Henrik, I am completely sorry. Um, so yeah, so it's got all these digital technologies coming on board, like I said, and it's basically anticipating what's going to be out there in the future. And if the, if BMW, Honda, and Yamaha, with the other European uh, manufacturers and, dig, uh, you know, whether it's a um, car manufacturer or a te- technological manufacturer, when they get together and they do all of these V to I stuff, I'm, I'm assuming that that's where this is going to be uh, capable because without infrastructure, you're not going to have all this crap feeding you all of these, uh, you know, any, any heads up, anything, you know, it's not going to predict because it says in, in the press release that it predicts the the way it helps you corner is that it, it knows what the corner is like up ahead because it can read all the I'm guessing sensors and stuff like that. Obviously, since it can't see around the corner, there's no way to do that without having some sort of infrastructure set up. So you're still going to have to have, uh, you know, like a some sort of dual sport bike whether it's electric or not you're gonna have to have something that's not uh 100 hooked into everything to be able to navigate parts of the world if you think of like parts of africa and south america even the wilds of uh, canada and australia lots of places still in the u.s there's no infrastructure you know what i mean there's there's nothing out there but wilderness and so if you're going to be riding something through that it better be capable so this thing i'm thinking is for like urban and and very futuristic landscapes. Um, so b- basically it says that uh, riders will appreciate all the benefits of the assistance systems to enhance their capabilities. And it helps every biker become more proficient. So like I said earlier, you know, it's telling new riders where they can push the limits to and helping them learn without actually crossing that line and eating, eating crap. And it's helping veteran riders learn where that line is and be able to push it as well without, uh, also doing the same thing as the beginning rider. Uh, I mean, for whatever, for whatever that's worth, I mean, I guess that's worth something that you can ride it like crazy and, and not crash still. The one last thing I want to mention about this, cause you can go to the website and read it all and you'll probably, it's going to be all over the news. By the time this episode even comes out, it'll be old news. But one thing that they mentioned was the digital companion. And this also reminds me of the little robot that Yamaha's building or the AI that Kawasaki's building. Maybe it's not something that's going to be riding the bike for you or doing that, but it, it's the u- ubiquitous, connected, and discreet digital companion. And what BMW describes here is that somebody that'll be there to suggest lines. Well, let me, let me do this. It says that the bike and the special riders gear that's been designed to accompany it, make up a single unit. So I guess you're going to have to buy the bike and you're going to have to buy 
the outfit to go with it. But a digital companion provides situational information and support that you need. So it's basically like having a back seat rider just chatting in your ear. But if you don't want it, they're out of the way. They're always connected, but they're discreet. So for whatever that's worth. And it says it works away unnoticed in a, until it's required to issue an alert via the user interface or provide active assistance. And this is the part I was talking about where it says it won't let you crash. And uh, it'll actually supposedly uh, let you go ahead and, and try to crash. And if you start to, you don't put in the right amount of input and everything like that, it'll take over for you. So let me read you this Quote, a key point with the BMW Motorrad Vision Next 100 was to make sure the constant digital presence doesn't undermine the analog riding experience. The display and operating concept works so subtly that the rider can enjoy an entirely natural biking experience, trusting the bike completely and enjoying complete freedom and ease. As interface designers, our job is to, li- to deliver the right amount of the right information at the best possible time and place. And that was uh, Holger Hampf, head of the user experience at BMW. And after after this section, it goes on to explain how the visor interacts with the suit and the bike to make it non-crashable. And I believe there was something in there that said... Yeah, right here. The rider can correct if necessary when the when the visor starts telling you, hey, you're not on the right banking angle or taking the ideal line. Um, if it doesn't match what's suggested, the rider can correct it. But if it doesn't or like if you start to like go too hot into a corner or do something too late or if you don't do anything at all, uh, let's say you have a seizure on the bike and hopefully you don't fall off, but you slump over the bike will take over and take corrective action itself using its self-balancing mechanism, using all those extant forms of technology like the IMU and ABS and all that great stuff, traction control, everything that BMW currently has, and it'll get you through that corner. So that's how it helps novice riders. And that's how it helps veteran riders is if, Hey, you're cooking it in there too hot. Maybe you're trying to back it in and it's like, Hey, you're not backing it in. I don't know how long it'll wait to see if you're going to make it. Okay. But once you cross that line, and you do a major screw up, it'll catch itself and bring it back and get you through that corner safely without crashing so that you don't need any gear. Well, except for that suit to tell you things. Um, The thing I can see now going all the way back to the ban on uh, engines from Germany, the ban on gas and uh, uh, diesel engines and the ban, uh, not the ban on, but the ban on uh, gear from BMW, if this is true, is that, If you think about the suspension that I talked about being the tires and there's no forks or shocks, uh, the seat is totally, I mean, everything on this bike has to integrate with the suit that you're on and the visor and all the stuff that's going to be really troublesome for gear for the aftermarket, basically, which is a bigger part of basically motorcycling than motorcycles are. And if you think about that statement, think about how many brands there are. Let's say that there's 20 brands of motorcycles out there. How many uh, aftermarket things are there? And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about brands, but hell, there's way more than 20 brands, but I can think of 20, more than 20 aftermarket stores right off the top of my head. There's more than that there's way more aftermarket than there are motorcycles. So once you start getting these motorcycles and making them 
uh, specific like this. I could see a lot of suspension people that used to sell aftermarket BMW units or tire units being pretty pissed off unless they start making these super specialized damping tires that act as shocks as well. I mean, I guess there's always going to be some sort of market there for people that are innovative, but man, like think of all the gear companies that are going to be pissed off if they don't have, you, you know, you can't, you don't need gear anymore to ride a motorcycle. You just need this BMW suit that BMW makes with this BMW visor and you don't need anything. You can ride as long as you got this suit on, you can, you know, ride. Well, I said naked earlier cause they say that the bike doesn't let you crash, but uh, you know, I don't know if you need to have this suit on, if there's some sensors that senses where the rider's body and all that stuff is. But at any rate, the gear companies are, I mean, think about Revzilla, think about competition accessories, cycle gear, uh, any of the Dainese stores, companies like Alpine Stars, um, Sedici, uh, gosh, I mean, I'm not even going to start naming them because there's just too many to name. Think of all these companies going out of business. You know what I mean? Not to mention the oil, the companies that do oil and petroleum. And once everything goes to electric, uh, now it's terrible that we use oil. It's terrible that we use oil, but we also make synthetic oil and we don't just use oil to make petrol or gasoline. We also use oil to make, uh, lubricants for our motors. It makes our tires. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different industries that I can see kind of Depending, I mean, their lifeblood is the fact that we have combustion engines, and that's neither here nor there because eventually, it's maybe not even in the next 100 years, maybe we still have way more oil than we think we do. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember they're saying we had 80 years worth, and obviously, I'm 180, so that was like a long that was a lie. But there's more and more than enough oil, especially with all the technology coming out to get it out of the earth. But that's the thing. They're trying to make it a lot cleaner and safer for us as humans. We're like getting in our own way, trying to get all the stuff. But they're, but what I'm getting at is that we don't just use oil for gas. We all think of, oh, yeah, we're such gas hogs. But oil is used also to make roads and all sorts of stuff. So, so there's still going to be uh, some leeway in there for, for people. But when you go to the auto parts store anymore, I mean, if they're even around anymore, there's not going to be rows of oil, rows of antifreeze because everything will be electric. You're not going to go to the auto parts store to replace your 3000 pound battery, you know, for your car or your 200 pound battery for your bike. You know what I mean? It's those are all going to be dealer stuff. So I'm not hundred percent sure besides becoming cleaning, uh, hawk, you know, hawkers of cleaning stuff and little gremlin road bells. What, what's the future of auto parts stores are going to look like or motorcycle stores, I should, should be saying, and gear stores, the aftermarket, what's going to come now in your, uh, motorcycle superstore catalog, you know, what's it going to be full of? Cause you aren't going to be needing gear if this stuff, if everybody goes this way and you aren't going to be needing tires and, and bike locks. I mean, it'll probably be like the iPhone where you need to put your thumb on it to unlock it. You know what I mean? And who's going to steal that? I mean, there's always going to be something. I know, I know I'm not really scared about this cause we saw it in the industrial revolution and I even have a episode on the industrial revolution. I believe it's down in the thirties, but you know, People thought that humans were going to be eradicated then, and obviously we're not. We're just moving in a different direction. So uh, this is kind of just like me putting it out there, but I, I'm just 
I really am wondering. We're in such a pivotal time right now. Literally, the future is happening to us without us even really knowing it or taking it for granted or whatever. But we're going to look back in about 50 years and say, geez, like I can, we can already look back to the last 50 years and go, holy shit, they were still doing stuff this way 50 years ago. I can't believe it. And they didn't even have cell phones 60 years ago, smartphones 10 years ago, let's say. I can't remember when the first smartphone came out. But yeah, we are in this age right now. And I think this BMW uh, motorcycle corresponding with Germany's ban on combustion engines kind of shows me that, hey, here's here's the future right now. And what are we going to do? You know, what are the companies going to do? Uh, I know what I'll do. I'll be a robot probably and I'll still be doing the show, hopefully, and I'll just be talking about the stuff that exists then. And like, oh, remember back in the 2000s when we used to ride around on motorcycles instead of like, maybe we'll finally have flying motorcycles that sound like the Jetsons cars. And I'll say, remember when you used to like be on the ground and like our tires used to mess up the ground. So who knows? But at any rate, it's kind of exciting and it's kind of a thing. And I can't believe it's, I've been, this is almost an hour in. I have other stuff to talk about, you know? So, hey, ride report, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day today is. I wanted to say that, uh, you know, BMW has made some great strides. Some of the other things that they've come out with recently, uh, the K1600B, which just like the Honda F6B kind of is attacking the bagger market. We knew they were going to probably be coming out with it because of the Const Project 101 that they did with Roland Sands. Um, I haven't seen it mentioned stateside yet, and I really haven't seen it mentioned at the motor shows yet, but I'm sure it's probably coming. Something else that I wanted to mention that I have seen little spy shots of is the G310GS, which is basically the uh, little GS version of the G310R that they have out right now. So, yeah, there are some exciting things coming from BMW for our current time now. And something else that's kind of cool is that, you know, BMW races in flat track. And not a lot of people know that. Um, I was looking at Indians. I I was just kind of trying to think of stuff that's not going to be coming out at Intermont and Eichma and all this crazy stuff. Um, And by the way, AIM is happening right now. Uh, Yeah, I think it started today. So uh, I saw Steve from Cafe Racer Podcast uh, posting up some videos and some footage from AIM. So that's pretty cool. They got a lot of cool stuff there. And I started thinking about Moto Guzzi's the other day just because Moto Guzzi's are pretty sexy. I started thinking about the Victory Octanes and the way that Victory is going and the way that, uh, you know, we're kind of, I've been talking a lot about how Harley's going on the tubes. Now I'm talking about how BMW and Germany in general is going to be killing off motorcycling and at least as we know it. And so I thought I'd talk about some of the cool stuff that we do have out right now. And harking back a couple episodes ago to the what does it take to design a motorcycle? Uh, I just am listening today also to the uh, Pit Pass Moto podcast, which is a radio show that I listen to live, but they also have a podcast they release the next day. And they actually talked to the uh, designer from Deus USA here in uh, Venice, uh, Venice, California, not Venice, Venetia. (laughs) 
you know, Venice, Venetia, that is such a beautiful country. So at any rate, yeah. So it kind of, it's really cool. I'm going to quit saying, yeah, so one of these days too. Yeah. So I'll quit doing that. Um, but yeah, at any, at any rate, they, I was thinking about all the cool stuff that we have had out and that we have had available to us uh, for this particular market. And not only is 2017 going to be one of those hallmark years because of EPA regulations and, you know, all this kind of tying in tying together in my brain, all these episodes I've had recently, the EPA, um, everybody going, uh, to electric and going more digital in their bike creations. And now the fact that BMW is kind of riding, uh, like, you know, writing, writing safety out of the equation altogether, because it's going to be in an integrated part of riding a motorcycle and all these little background things that have been going on. And we really haven't made a fuss about because we didn't really see how they were going to be influencing us or they're not broadcast all the time, how they're going to be influencing us. So the future is coming. And also on the pit pass moto show and also the motorcycles and misfits podcast, uh, talk with the Alta motors, you know, it's an electric motorcycle company from up NorCal and, they're going to be at the straight rhythm section, the Red Bull straight rhythms coming to Pomona in a couple of weeks. Well, in a week, I guess. And Alta Motors is going to be there. It's making huge news, huge headlines. Uh, I'd like to note that the first time I heard of it, uh, Alta Motors was a while ago, but the first time I ever heard anybody talk to them was on the Misfits podcast. So they're doing such a great job of covering all the cool motorcycle makers that all happen to be up north. And there's a quite a few. I used to be hardcore into electric motorcycles. I was super excited when I first got to ride a Bramo. It was like nothing I'd ever done before. Um, I haven't been on any of the new victories or any zeros, but uh, I'm, I plan on changing that within the next few months because I really want to find out. I, and I had a chance to ride the Harley Davidson Livewire because I have uh, I have some connections at Harley. I just didn't take advantage of it. You know, I, I, this stuff will be out. It will be what bikes are in the near future anyway. So, you know, let's just get back to what's available to us now and look at like stuff like the Victory Octane. These are really cool concept bikes that just came out in as production models right before these Euro 4 changes made all these other major manufacturers go on, you know, go crazy and start redesigning stuff that really needed to be updated for quite a few years. But I don't blame them for not updating them at the time because if you know something's coming down the pipeline, why are you going to waste a bunch of R&D money making something that you might have to change in just a little bit anyway? Um, so, yeah, that is really kind of cool, you know, seeing what we do have and what kind of we have right and what we have wrong. Now, with Victory, of course, they're owned by Polaris, which not a lot of people know also is an American company. And so basically, uh, they are out of Wisconsin. A lot of great things coming out of Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Like a lot of great things. So uh, when I think of America and I think of all the cool motorcycle companies we have here. Everybody knows Harley and, and Indian. So not a lot of people know about Polaris. And on a side note, uh, my coworker sent me some news today that Polaris is gobbling up the 
aftermarket with side-by-sides, which is a huge, huge market. If you heard anything from my vacation, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I saw zero dirt bikes back there, not even a dual sport. I saw a thousand bazillion quads, and not only because people use them on their farms, and I was in farm territory, but also people use them for hunting, and I was in hunting territory, and also because, I don't know, for whatever reason, people back there like to cruise maybe two and three and four up. So side-by-sides are huge, quads are huge, and dirt bikes, not so much. I know they're there because there's a lot of riding that takes place back there. I just don't think I was in the right uh, area and around the right demographic. But I sure as hell saw a lot of trailers loaded up with side-by-sides and quads. And here in SoCal, everybody heads out to the desert, mostly uh, just trailers chock full of motorcycles mostly and you'll see one or two side-by-sides or utvs and very few quads anymore nowadays and even less three-wheelers but mostly bikes and it was the exact opposite back there i saw actually zero bikes and i saw all side-by-sides with one or two quads so interesting that polaris is gobbling that up Uh, a little bit of a side note just because it's four-wheel stuff but they're also uh, snapping up like Jeep parts and a whole bunch of not just side by side and UTV like recreational vehicle, but all sorts of recreational vehicle stuff. So they're just they're they're buying this huge share of the market right now in this huge chunk. I hope it pays off because I hope it allows them to bring more bikes to the market, which is exactly the point that I'm trying to get to. You know, it takes me like 15 minutes to get to any point I'm trying to make. But I was looking the other day at all the Victory stuff that they have out, and I used to really like the Victory Gunner. Uh, You know, I thought it was a cool-looking bike and it had a lot of potential for custom material. However, when you have Harley and now with Indian, just because they got so much media, there's going to be a heck of a lot more aftermarket stuff available for those guys. If you have a metric cruiser or you have a you know, a victory. There's not a whole heck of a lot of aftermarket stuff as there is, you know, obviously compared to Harley. So I was looking at some of these, the victory octane in particular seems like it could be such a cool, uh, like a Buell almost. And if you think that sounds crazy, uh, they have the, it's not the hammer shoot. Now I'm going to blank out on it. Well, the octane for sure has a cool, like street cowl, you know, a little bit of a street is not necessarily a cruiser. Uh, it is, I'm getting this totally wrong. I need to stop and think about what I'm, what I'm going to say. I, that this happened at the bank too. When I ran in and said, stick them up and ah, just kidding. And I had eight people on top of me. Uh, that wasn't funny and neither is this. So let me digress a little bit. Okay. Victory has this wonderful platform and it's a V twin platform and it's kind of power cruisery. And if you saw the octane concept, it looked a hell of a lot more like the project 156. And I think that's what they based it off of. And I think that bike had a hell of a lot more chance of selling to a younger crowd or a more distributed crowd, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, you, you don't necessarily have to make a sport bike. And, you know, I don't know how many people buy Ducati DFLs. Uh, everybody wants a Ducati either for the sport bikes, for sure, once in a while for a hypermotard. And I'm guessing the DFL has the fewest amount of buyers, you know. Um, but at any rate, the Triumphs are the same way. A lot of people forget about the Triumph America and the Rocket 3 and all that stuff. These are big 900-pound motorcycles just like a Harley-Davidson. It's just that you get known for one thing. I don't even know if a lot of people 
uh, by Triumphs for their sport bikes. However, they make them. And you don't have to do that with your market. You don't have to spread it so thin that like nothing's really selling that well. You can still keep it kind of focused, but just make a platform. I think the BMW with the R9T and the modular frame, they're kind of kicking things out. Let's just call this the BMW episode, should we? Because we've been, everything's kind of coming back to BMW. And I, I guess... For a brand, they really do have a lot of experience and a lot of um, really forward thinking uh, attitude toward the way they build stuff. So uh, a lot of things I see that are working. Modular obviously works for them. A lot of other brands are going back to the racer replicas this year, or they're not racer replicas, but the like homologation specials. You know, I've seen a lot of SP2s coming out and a lot of low production. Some of the stuff is only going to be made in 500 uh, units just to get the homologation numbers down for world Superbike and all that stuff and super sport and all this and that. So when you have something that you don't need to dilute like that, like Polaris, you know, the victory, they could make a kick-ass cruiser. I, I, I like the way the octane looks, but I don't like forward controls on it. Uh, I do like that it kind of looks like a cruiser, a sporty cruiser, if that's a thing. And I think with the hooligan flat track, also going back to the beginning of the episode when I was mentioning that I hope flat track grows, I think that I've seen, obviously, Harley Davidson making the Roadster geared toward flat trackers. Yamaha came out with the DT07 last year, or the FT07. Shit, now I sound like an idiot because I was took a picture of it and I can't remember what it's called. But... They had that concept. I think it was the the FT07, and if they mar- if they sold that thing, especially right now when this whole huge retro custom craze is going on, I think that would be a million seller. Polaris. I hope the, I wish them the best, snapping up all this other stuff that they're going to get, and hopefully monetize across their whole brand with that. But for as far as motorcycles, why don't we make the Victory Project 156? You know, we already got the Impulse, which is a pretty badass bike, but almost 20,000 and electric is still a couple years away from catching on all the way. So they've got a good project, uh, you know, product base and a good, a good portfolio. They just need to do a little more branching out. I think if they were to bring the Indian flat tracker to market or a flat track replica, oh, they would kill it. You know, they would just straight kill it. They would probably start outselling Harley, which is kind of seeing even its Project Rushmore stuff and everything. It's not that exciting. They came out with the Milwaukee 8 and it's almost like dust in the wind now that Intermont has hit the, you know, has hit all the publications and now AIM. And I think Honda's Yamaha is going to be... Uh, announcing stuff for their R6 and their homologation specials and stuff. So it's just crazy. Like everybody kind of has already forgot about the Milwaukee eight. I think it wasn't really that big of a deal for Harley East for Harley. It was, it was huge, but you know, see that's look at what's happened now. And it's like, I don't know. I just feel like that we have a lot of good homegrown stuff that we tend to forget about. I think it kind of took this year for Indian to get back in the game for flat tracking to catch on. I think everything was timed perfectly. And I know I also mentioned earlier in this episode that I really think flat track can kind of get people interested in motorcycles again. I think that's a really great concept. But I also think that with this timing, we need to take hold right now of this interest. Uh, the fact that these big cruiser companies are making racers again, not that they ever like went away from it, but now that it's like getting in the media again, you know what I mean? It's just getting all sorts of attention. I think this is great. And I think you know, I, I talked a minute ago about how we're in this pivotal time in history 
Um, you know, we're right on the verge of electric taking over everything. We're right on the verge of technology taking over everything. And right now we just need to like milk the last vestiges of all this motorcycle industry that we can. And everybody's got a platform to do it. I, I just, I really hope Honda's CB 1100, that thing would make such a rad flat tracker. Like, you know, this, the hooligan class really has opened up a lot of leeway for people to get in. And I, I don't think people are taking advantage of that. And hopefully we'll see Yamaha with the SCR 950 or even the Bolt. Maybe they'll come out with like a flat tracker. The Bolt Cafe Racer, I think, was a total failure. It didn't even really look like a Cafe Racer. I was kind of bummed about it. They tried to, they, at least they gave it, you know, like rear sets compared to the regular Bolt and clip-ons and stuff. But instead of just like Clubman bars. But at the same time, like, you know, that was already going away. Cafe racers was kind of already on the way out and, and trackers were already coming on the way in. As a matter of fact, when the bolt debuted, a lot of people made flat trackers out of them, uh, you know, as part of their bolt biker build off. So I don't know. I just think right now we're in this pivotal, pivotal moment. The fact that the designer for Deus was on pit pass moto weekly, and they are mostly like a more mainstream radio show. Uh, the fact that he came on and talked about building trackers for people and, and building all sorts of one-off race bikes. I thought that really is a signal that the custom market is coming up. You make a custom bike, you know, Ducati jump Ducati scrambler has been out for a couple of years now. So at least they had the foresight to throw that down for the hipsters and it's like already on the way out again. So I don't know. I just, I hope all this makes sense. I hope it all like wraps around into your brain and, and, uh, ties this whole episode together. I think I've kind of put it in this box. I don't know if I stacked it right in there and wrapped it up all nice. I don't, basically, I don't know if I just threw a bunch of shit in the box or if I kind of put it in there so it's nice for you to unwrap it. But this whole episode kind of ties ties in together, and I, and I hope that I've expressed that. Now that I can't seem to express anything, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do a little cut right here. Hey, everybody, I'd like to take a moment to say thanks for all the connections again that we've been making. Thank you for two more page likes on our Facebook page, Experimental Ghost and Max Wedge. And you know what? If you have a minute, can you go and review us in iTunes? Give us a a good review or give us a bad one. I don't really care. I will look at it and uh, take it into consideration when I'm trying to do the next show. But you can even write something like, hey, this guy makes no sense, but at least it's talking in English and put that right down there in the comments section of the review. Uh, check us out on Podbay. Uh, I don't think we're on Stitcher. We're not on Stitcher, are we? No, we're not on Stitcher. Check us out on Podbay, the Google Play Store, uh, Podcatcher, Ogcast, all these great places where you can get your podcasts. And like our Facebook page, uh, check us out on Tumblr, check us out on Twitter at, at creative underscore writer and uh, all that great groovy stuff and do me a favor uh, if you have any a spooky ghost story go ahead and uh, submit it to us at creative writing podcast at gmail.com 
four on our Facebook page, do a private message because we want to keep it confidential until we're ready for a Halloween episode. We don't want anybody to know you're, what you're scared of. Uh, so at any rate, yeah, please do that. You can even send us like an audio clip. It doesn't have to be MP3. Just as long as we can hear it, we can get it into our recording device. And yeah, that'd be great. That'd be super great because I want to have a really fun Halloween episode. Send us pics of you dressed up, of your bike dressed up, or of a monster tearing your handlebars off and beating you senseless with them. Doesn't matter. But at any rate, thanks for the engagement, baby. Back to the show. All right, everybody, it's getting to be about that time. It is just about time to do our DIY tech tip for the week. And this week's DIY tech tip is actually something you can use. I know a lot of you out there are custom builders and custom painters. I don't know if any of you are, to be honest, actually. I does a total fabrication of facts. But uh, at any rate, here's something I want to dole out to you. I've been working on some stuff here around the uh, Creative Writing Homestead. And, of course, I've only got a couple bikes. I'm not like these people with 10 or 12 bikes. But uh, the ones I do have occasionally go through a facelift. Every five or so years, uh, I I had to give a facelift to my SR when I went flat tracking. I had to make some number plates for it. I had to fabricate some stuff so that I could drive down to San Diego, do a little flat tracking, drive back, drive out to any track I've gone to. I had to drive out to Paris, all this great stuff. Then you don't want to crash and then have to get a ride back home, right? So never never uh, get too crazy on it, but keeping everything street legal. And throughout all this time, and, and recently I've done some cool fabricating. I don't know if you paid attention to any of the posts, uh, you know, how far back you would go into someone's Facebook feed nowadays. If you go back like 48 hours, it's already ancient history, right? So uh, I'm going to fill you in. A couple months ago, one of the listeners named Paul uh, was joking around. I, I, I had made a joke about fabricating some stuff with some dryer sheets. I had seen uh, these prop guys use lint to make like and well, not fiberglass, I guess it was fiber lint. Uh, you know, they put it in the mold just like you would for fiberglass, uh, a two-part mold so that compressed it down really nice. And they made a ton of these props because they wanted, you know, they didn't use computer to make this picture. It was like the real deal, but they needed like a hundred or so of the same thing, pretty complex, sort of like phonograph looking thing. And basically they just compressed them all down into these molds that they had and just made them out of dryer lint. Uh, A lot of weird stuff that they probably just found laying around, right? And let's face it, dryer lint kind of is like a stronger form of paper mache, which is pretty cool in and of itself. So I made some stuff out of some dryer sheets. I haven't done the dryer lint thing, but I was just kind of fooling around and joking around about being able to fabricate stuff out of anything. And I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of reuse and recycle. Matter of fact, I keep a lot of stuff in the garage and keep a lot of coffee tins just to keep parts in. I actually kept a sandwich meat, a lunch meat container that came the other day because you'll never guess what it looked like. It looked just like an electrical box and the fact that it had a lid that you pop it off and like take the meat out of and pop it back on to seal it. It wasn't one of these plastic peely bag jobs. It was a hard plastic container. 
the lid fit perfectly as a flange. And if you if you know like mounting onto the backside of stuff, you a lot of times you need a flange to screw through. A lot of times when you're working with the fiberglass or mold making, you need to make a two-part mold and it has flanges on it where they butt up one piece to the next. So this thing actually looked like an, ele- an electrical box. And I thought, oh my God. And there was no weird like stampings like the name Glad or Tyson or anything that you find in a lot of plastic containers that a lot of companies embossed their names into this was just totally flat so i thought what a great thing to use i'm actually going to use it to make an electrical box and uh you know cast it up out it's, it's only made out of uh some sort of ldpe which is lycopripyl densyl ethyl polyethyl and if you look that up on the internet you'll see the chemical properties of that mean it's kind of malleable so you make it out of the fiberglass and the fact that it's a smooth lunch tin or lunch meat tray and all that stuff means that it will cast perfectly uh, assuming that the resin doesn't burn a hole through it so yeah reuse recycle rejuvenate i'm all for that stuff and i keep all sorts of weird little containers to hold stuff in and keep stuff in and uh you know eat a lot of stuff out of cans, eat a lot of canned food. So I probably have lead poisoning. All you crazy vegans that only eat fresh food. Uh, yeah. Even though they don't make cans out of lead anymore, I'll go ahead and support your crazy theory that I'm hardening my brain. Um, no, I harden my brain with crack every morning. So yeah, there. Uh, and at any rate, the metal tin cans, or they're not even tin anymore, because that also causes brain poisoning. But whatever they make them out of nowadays, mild steel, aluminum, whatever they are, uh, I use those to hold hardware in. And then you can just label it and throw it up on your shelf. Because when you're taking apart your head and you got like, you know, a thousand little bolts that are all weird and different and like they have a special length, you know, a lot of head bolts or case bolts or one length uh it might go around one half of the cover and then like a smaller length as they go into the case and there's less of a space for the mount. So all this stuff comes in handy and recycling and reusing stuff is a really, really, really great way to also, you know, make cool crafts. Like if you go to the WIR top 10 bikes, you can see that they made this bitchin trophy that looks like a drag strip tree and they made it out of valves and can I think there was like a cam, some valves, maybe even like a sprocket as the base. So yeah, you keep keep your old engine parts around and uh, you can always reuse them for cool stuff. Another cool idea that I just thought of is using the old sprocket and hanging some hooks on it, hanging it up like a chandelier, but putting open-ended wrenches on it. You know, you could use that as like your box end wrench or is a wrench a spanner in uh England and Australia. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, you can stick open end wrenches or spanners. I'm not sure if a spanner is a, yeah, it's a wrench, I believe, uh, because a stabber is a screwdriver. Yeah, you got your stabbers and spanners. Yeah, yeah. So at any rate, yeah, just think of all the cool things you can make out of old parts, you know, old coffee cans. I'll never forget my grandpa's garage. Just because his shop had so many old cans from the 60s in there, coffee cans, that he must have collected, I don't know when he was born, but I'm guessing like the 30s. 
and he must have collected those things and just held onto them. And they were just in this old shop. And, you know, when I went in there as a little kid, all these old coffee cans, they, they don't even make anymore. You know what I mean? Like they're too politically incorrect and just awful. And yeah, they're just all up there on the thing. Like, you know, with all these crazy old tools that I don't even know what they do anymore. They had like gopher boppers and, uh, the schmag, the, um, schmaggle valve adjuster, uh, siphon and all this crazy stuff in them. So yeah, just reuse, recycle, repeat, rejuvenate, man. And sorry, I almost just gagged on a, a goose feather. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, at any rate, there's another cool thing that I'm working on customizations to the, the B one S, which is my street bike is I'm putting spam nears on it. And I know you all know what panniers are. I don't even know why they call them panniers. Cause they don't look like pans at all. They look like cases, but I got a couple old spam cans. And if you've never seen my bike, it has spam written on the side of the tank because who knows what's in it really. And, uh, it's just a bunch of reconfigured meat basically riding on it as well. So I figured spam is pretty fitting. And so I took some spam cans and made some spam nears on the back. So now I can carry my sandwich in one and a little toolkit in the other. And they're just the right size. They don't stick out like big full size panniers and uh, I can still split traffic and everything well with them. So yeah, recycle, reuse, rejuvenate, baby. That's, that's this week's DIY tech tip. And this leaves us just enough time to say thanks to everybody. Uh, hey, a quick shout out too to the Ivy League flat track race crew and team prep supporters and organizers and volunteers and everyone that makes that uh, possible. Uh, was looking at their Facebook page and realized what a crazy season they've had for 2016. What just a, a wonderful, wonderful year they've had promoting all over the United States, make flat track great again and bring in the hooligan class, you know, out there. I, I, they are responsible, solely responsible for getting this hooligan class started and running across the nation. I, you know, they might've had it at dirt quake over in Britain and that might've got things jump started somewhat, but Ivy league had it even before the first dirt quake was over here. That is a totally unsubstantiated uh, statement that I'm making and I'm not going to research it to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that it's true. Ivy league flat track had a hooligan class before dirt quake came to the U S of a, and that may not be true, but I'm standing by it. And at any rate, so yeah, on their Facebook page, there's a big picture of all the crew that makes it happen. I know I mentioned Brian Bell earlier, but man, it takes a hell of a lot of people to make that show happen. Safely prep the tracks, as we could see, is a big issue. Safety has been this year. And, uh, you know, just what a great organization. We're going to make Flat Track Great Again America. We're going to build a wall around Flat Track tracks, even though they already have a wall around them usually. And, and we're going to do some cool stuff because it still is the most dangerous form of motorcycle racing. You have big groups of people racing next to a wall. There's zero runoff and they're going bar to bar banging into each other like you do at motocross only in triple digits. So yeah, flat track, baby. Peace. All right, everybody. That's the show. We're about to do our sorry list. Uh, Creative writing and its associate producers and anyone affiliated with the show would like to apologize to the following people, places, things. 
Haiti, we are sorry. Sorry for anyone who lost family or property in Hurricane Michael for that fact. Intermont Motorcycle Show. Michael Enderbitson. California Flat Track Association, we are sorry. Southern California Flat Track Association, we are also sorry. Naked Jim Stark and the Recycle Garouge up in sunny Santa Cruz, we are sorry. Brian Smith, Jared Mees, and Harley Davidson Racing and the AMA Pro Flat Track, we are sorry. Ivy League Flat Track and all of the crew at Ivy League, thanks for everything you've done and making 2016 an epic year. We're so sorry for mentioning you. The Race of Gentlemen in Pismo Beach happening this weekend. We are sorry. New Jersey, we're sorry. Pomona, we're sorry. Lazy Americans, we're sorry. Football, baseball, darts, soccer, billiards, rugby, Australian rules football, golf, Australia in general, boomerangs, and basketball. We are sorry. X Games, we're sorry. Red Bull, we are sorry. Motocross, Supercross, and Arena Crosses, and any other crosses, we're sorry. Germany, we are sorry. We'd like to apologize to the European Union. Union, Union. European Union, the EU! BMW, Volkswagen, and Mercedes. Our apologies. Apologies also go out to Paris in the Paris Agreement. BMW's Vision Next 100 and all the vehicles that they released on Monday, or Tuesday rather. The Jetsons. Roland Sands and Roland Sands Designs, we're sorry. Harley Davidson and Victory, we are sorry. As well as Polaris. Pit Pass Moto and Pit Pass Moto Weekly Radio Talk Show coming out of Des Moines, Iowa. We are sorry. Venice, we're sorry. The EPA, we're sorry. Michael Woolly Woolaway and Deus, Deus, Deus Ex Machina, we are sorry. Ramo Motorcycles, Zero Motorcycles, and Alta Motorcycles, we are sorry. <clears throat> Indian, and any other sort of thing that Polaris has bought out recently, we're sorry. Experimental Ghost and Max Wedge, we are sorry. And once again, our sign-off this week is life. The future's getting hectic. Let's all go electric. All right, peace. <sighs> Son of a bitch. Developing technologies. Let me pause this, damn it. Um, I just listened to one where they said, and here comes my little bit. We are, you know, the... Now and then they sit and then ba 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 bar. So, how do you know if a motorcycle racer is standing on level ground? Drool runs out of both sides of their mouth.